iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and back alongside me in the studio, fresh from rambling through the Yorkshire Dales in support of Parkinson's UK, it is Gab Marcotti. Gab, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm just, I'm just a little bummed that, you know, I, I was only able to do a couple of days. But um, my friend Dave Clark, who, of course, is an old colleague of yeah. yours from, from Sky, you may know him. He does the uh, the darts on Sky Sports. He and the crew, they're, they're still walking. It's a week. Dave's like, a, I think, a real inspiration to, to a lot of people because he's been he's been living with Parkinson's for some time now. And uh, it's tremendous charity, tremendous group of people, some tremendous scenery. And uh, he has a Just Giving page. So if you, if you want to support what is, I think, a, a, a tremendous cause, please do get involved. Yeah, as you say, a tremendous cause and, and, and a week of walking. Yeah, a week, of, a week of walking. Amazing, yeah. Alongside us in the studio, Mr. Matt Hughes. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and down the line, the man on the Manchester beat for the Times, it is Paul Hurst. Hello. We're keeping the Yorkshire theme going. Here, we right? are. Just for you, to make yourself feel at home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As it should always be. Gab's Yorkshire accent. Gab developed a Yorkshire accent in his, in his week in, <laughs> on the Dales, or not? Uh, no, I studiously, I studiously avoided that. <laughs> oh, poor, 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 poor. When it comes to regional accents in, in this country, there are some which I prefer and some which I find a little more grating. <laughs> I like the way George Culkin speaks. Ah. Well, what's your favourite regional accent? Now? Oh, goodness. Wow, this is this is different. Um, goodness, that's a really good question. I mean, I know it's not England, but I'm very partial to an Irish accent, but I don't know. Hughesy, you're making a face? I think all accents that aren't Yorkshire accents are regional. We speak proper. So later on the show, we're going to be uh, uh, discussing uh, uh, West Ham's woes. And of course, the big game coming up at Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur lunchtime on Saturday at Wembley. But we're going to start with Mr. Matt Dickinson. Yeah, he's interviewed Gary Neville, uh, an exclusive you can read in today's Times. And uh, Neville speaks about the Paul Pogba situation, but also the need for the club to back the manager, Jose Mourinho. Um, Paul, do the words of a club legend like Neville have any effect, do you think, on the thinking of the old Trafford hierarchy? Uh, when it comes to Ed Woodward, I, I don't think it will have a, a massive impact, uh, really. Uh, you know, Neville's words obviously carry some weight because he was at the club for so long and he was captain, obviously won a, a, a lot of trophies in, you know, in a successful era. But when it comes to Woodward, I think there's a kind of clear division between 
those two at the moment on what, what, how they see the club, you know, how they see the, the Mourinho situation. And, and Neville's been quite, you know, critical of Woodward in the past. So I don't think Woodward will pay too much mm-hmm. attention to what Neville said. One thing that struck me here, and, and Hirsty, I want to get you on this. Is obviously, we talked about Mourinho and Pogba. We'll speak about them again. But <laughs> he says what he would say to Pogba as a teammate. He says, Paul, it's obvious you want to play somewhere else, but be professional. Don't be someone who is seen as a mercenary or a mutineer. You don't need to do that. I thought these are pretty strong words because, to be honest, we all see sort of public quotes out of, co- out of context, and we in the media, we sort of you know, fuel the idea, could he go, and, and whatever, and, you know. But every indication I have from people in France close to him and also, frankly, from his agents, people, is that he wants to be at Manchester United. He's not happy with the way United are performing, obviously. Maybe it's also because there aren't too many obvious places for him to go, but, you know, he's... He's there, and I think he also knows he was likely to outlast this manager if it ever comes down to that. It seems to me like a lot of times the things he says get slightly twisted or taken out of context, and and people seem intent. Is that because, as is often the case, there are people behind the scenes who are saying, guys, you know, off the record, Pogba wants to leave? Is that your sense of this, Paul? I think that there are a lot of people kind of getting involved in this now who necessarily, you know, don't have the full kind of story about, you know, what, what Pogba's thinking, you know, you you know, it's like in our industry, it's, uh, you know, someone talks to another person and it kind of gets a bit of a, you know, a story kind of gets legs, you know, words get round about what's what his kind of state of mind is. Um, but then again, you got to, Pogba is asked directly, you know, whether he wants to stay at Man United, and he could have absolutely shut that down and said, yes, I'm here for the long term, I want to sign a new contract, or at least I want to see out my contract at the club. But instead, during the international break, he said. In a few months, who knows? <laughs> so it's kind of, you I'm, know sorry, I'm sorry, but do you have the actual question he was asked on that? You're talking about uh, the, what but, he said to Sky Germany, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. Where do you see your future, something like that? I see, because my understanding is he was asked a more generic question about Manchester United. Right. And how they were doing. And everybody ran with this idea that, you know, well, in a few months, we'll see. But, I mean... As I understood it, he was talking about the club. Like, I mean, I don't think I'm under no illusions that you know, if if Barcelona or somebody come forward and offer a whole lot of money, and you know, he might want to leave. But I just don't know that he's agitating because at the same time, what he said after the game was was the opposite of that. I, the thing with Pogba, like like you say, you know, he is one of a number of players at Manchester United now who is in the situation where he thinks that he will probably outlast this manager. You know, Anthony Martial's another one, Luke Shaw's another one probably. You know, I was just kind of riding out and thinking this guy might be gone soon. So, you know, even if it isn't Rosie now, I've just got to kind of sit tight and and hope that I, I outlast him. You know, Rashford's probably dropping into that category now because he, he's, he's barely played for United and he's got these two immovable objects in front of him in Lukaku and Sanchez. So, you know, he, he's one of a number of players who's kind of just, sitting tight and see, seeing what happens. But, you know, the, you can't deny that you look at the relationship between them, uh, between Pogba and Mourinho, and, and, you know, he doesn't seem right, does it? And in that interview as well, he did say, uh, he did say that we have a pure football coach-player relationship. You know, it wasn't as if they were kind of, he was saying that they were buzzing buddies or anything. You know, it just seems to be kind of a, you know, a strictly professional relationship and there's kind of nothing beyond that, really. 
there are obviously, as as we alluded to, then some some issues going on behind the scenes with Paul Popper and uh, Jose Mourinho and and Matt. I'm not sure if you like talking about Mourinho, but we're going to have to talk a little bit about him because Gary Neville has spoken a fair bit about him as well. A lot of questions about Mourinho's future, some saying he's perhaps finished, um, which Gary Neville says isn't true. Do you agree? I don't think he's finished, but I think he's probably facing the most difficult test of his career. Um, I guess Real Madrid was the first time that he could be said to have really failed and he failed towards the end at Chelsea and second time round and at United hasn't had the impact he would have liked even though he dresses up finishing second as a success which is new to people who followed Mourinho for 20 years um, so I think this season won't be the last of his career but I, I struggle to see it being anything other than his last season at Old Trafford so um, he does have nothing to prove but he has a big situation to manage. Well, United travel to Vicarage Road to face Watford on Saturday evening. Uh, the Hornets, of course, with a 100% record. Four wins out of four. Gab, it's not the easiest of games for United after the international break, really. No. I mean, I think, you know, in Watford's case, there might be, you know, people might be wondering about maybe some of the quality opposition that, that they faced. But I think in some ways, Watford are a tough out. I mean, they, they match up well, you know, with Decore and Capoue in front of the back four. Cabasele at the back. They've got a lot, you know, there's a lot of physicality there. And of course, they play with two up, you know, in, in, in Gray and Dini, who again, I'm not suggesting, you know, Andre Gray and Troy Dini are, are the second coming, but, you know, they're big bodies. They work. And, and I think it could be a physical test for, for United center backs. And in fact, Hersey, do we have any idea who United center backs are going to be? Well, you just need to pick two out of a hat, I think. <laughs> Would you go you know, with three like, against... Do you, like, you think he might go with three against the against the two? He only usually plays three at the back when he's matching up against a, a team that, you know, that they also play three at the back, uh, like, you know, like Spurs, for example, uh, when they do that. But, um, no, I think he'll probably he'll pick two. Rocco is back and available. One of the complaints that Mourinho's had, is, apparently, is that he's, he's not had a left-footed centre-half, and Rojo is, is that man. So it'd be interesting to see if, if he throws him uh, straight in. Um, but, you know, you know, if he plays someone like Lindelof for the weekend, he'll get bullied by Dini. So I, I can't see him playing. Um, Phil Jones is uh, still injured, we believe. So, you know, he's had a you know, small in Mbaye or, you know, Mbaye and Rojo, possibly. It's... Um, he just changes them so often, it's so hard to predict. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our stats guru, Bill Edgar, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. And here's one for you on this podcast. The teaser is the two youngest Premier League clubs will meet this weekend. They were formed in 1905 and 1908, which was later than the other 18 present top flight clubs. Question is, who are these two clubs? You haven't got long to find out the answer. Stick around until the end of this podcast. Now, one thing Gary Neville also alluded to from a Manchester United perspective was the threat of Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp's league leaders have won four out of four. They travel to Wembley for the early kickoff on Saturday to take on Tottenham. Uh, the Reds were beaten 4-1 at Wembley last season. That was their biggest defeat of the campaign. Matt, this is going to be a big test for them. It is, but they're in a much better shape than they were 
last season when they gave soft goals and Lovren in particular had a, had a nightmare. Um, Gomez he played for England last weekend. I don't think he was great. He made at least one error, but he grew into the game, so he should be feeling fairly confident. And um, I think this is probably the game of the season so far. Matt spoke about Dejan Lovren not having the best of games last time when Liverpool met Tottenham at Wembley. He had to be substituted after half an hour. But with Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk in defence, Liverpool are conceding a few goals in the Premier League this season. And Paul, it's a partnership that is growing in strength. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, when they signed van Dijk in January last season, you know, it was, January is always a difficult time to move, you know, to move to a new club. But van Dijk slotted in straight away and added that bit of authority and a bit of calm to a defence that had, you know, a, a wobbly goalkeeper behind them at the time. So, and yeah, Gomez is, you know, he, he was unlucky with what happened at the World Cup and not going with England through injury. So, you know, now he's kind of taken his chance and I think Lovren's due to be out for a few few more weeks. So he's, he's going to keep that spot and it's up to him to, he looks as if he's going to, you know, keep it for a long time. Well, one thing that Gary Neville says is also this idea that because of the way Liverpool play, you know, it's so taxing on the players, it's really difficult for them to compete on both fronts and that, you know, maybe they should kind of give up the Champions League and focus on winning the league. Now, I can see where he's coming from, but I'm curious, does anybody here, and I'm sure they are the biggest challengers to City, whatever, but there's still a huge gap with City and it seems kind of like to me at least, that giving up on the Champions League early would not be very wise. That wouldn't be wise and it won't happen. I mean, he has a point. It's really hard to compete in both, but it's not, that's not a Liverpool issue. It's an issue for everyone that isn't Bayern Munich, really. If you look at who's won the Champions League in the last few years, they rarely win the domestic title. And as you saw with Man City last season, in those big games against Liverpool, they, they were found wanting, but I agree, you don't throw in a tournament like that for all sorts of reasons. Revenue, the morale of the squad, keeping the fans happy, particularly at Liverpool, who've got such long and also recent tradition in in, in Europe. Well, plus I think the dynamic of the tournament is such that, yeah, okay, there's a a group stage, and Liverpool are in a very tough group with Paris Saint-Germain, Napoli, and and Red Star Belgrade, but, you know, that's all done with by December. And so... You know, maybe you take stock in January and February, and if you are in a title race, and you know you're drawn to play Barcelona in the round of 16, maybe that's something that crosses your mind. Maybe then you start making choices. It's but, not even then. It's more. I think the problem is it's April, isn't it? When you get to the semi-finals, where it's three huge games in a week. Um, even the last 16 and quarterfinals are sort of slightly spread out over a month, aren't they? And you're playing less important league games than mixed in with FA Cup and Carabao Cup final kind of time. So I think it's mainly an issue once you get to the really fine competition. And obviously, if you get to that stage, you're not going to throw it in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange argument. I might understand it if Liverpool hadn't reached the final last year. But with reaching the final last year, they're only going to want to try and better that. So why on earth would they want to throw in a competition that they had fairly recent success in? I think it sends a bad message to you know to everyone else as well, doesn't it? We're not confident of beating you know Napoli, PSG, you know, or, you know, with you know. So what, what's he supposed to do? Is he he's supposed to send out the kids? And Brendan Rodgers got hammered, didn't he, four years ago for playing a, an understrength team in a dead rubber against Real Madrid? Do you just send the kids out in this 
tournament and then, you know, hope they're rested. You've got four players in, you know, for big money this year. So the squad's big enough, I think. I don't see how it's, you know, physically possible for him to kind of throw the towel in, like you say, in, you know, in the group stage. Just finally, for, for all of you, is this a test that you think, Paul, I'll ask you first, Liverpool will pass? I don't know. I think, I think Spurs will will win this. I was in Denmark at the weekend to do the the Wales match there and Ericsson was just, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. I know it, Wales aren't exactly Real Madrid or whatever, but he was a genuine, you know, top-class player, you know, seeing him kind of, you know, just, just see things that, that no, no one else seems to do. And I, I just think, having watched Spurs beat United at Old Trafford the other week with Moore, he was such a kind of a surprise player to see how, how well he's doing. I just think they've got so many more options now. And, you know, with Son coming back as well, you know, that's another attacking option that they've got. So I think they'll they'll just have the, the edge over Liverpool. Matt, what do you think? I think it might be a draw, actually. Um, kind of partly depends on how it's an early kick-off after the international break. So you'd be looking at which players have travelled furthest and how fresh they come back, which is um, pretty difficult to tell, obviously, if you're not there at training. Um these early games are often a bit disappointing, so uh, I could I could see a sort of tight one all. Gab, what about you? I'm going to save my prediction for oh, our, for our prediction yeah. game. I don't want to give you any kind of Damn edge, Natalie. It. I know, clever, clever thinking. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We're going to move on to West Ham now, and I have a major problem with the way the script was written. Because it says the Premier League's only pointless team are West Ham United. Now, strictly speaking, that's true, but pointless lends itself to more yeah. than one interpretation. So <laughs> just want to reassure West Ham fans, your club is not pointless. You won the World Cup. You still are the academy. You're just facing a difficult time right now. Um, I have no points. Yes, they have no points. And so are pointless. That does not mean, well, I mean, whatever, whatever. I thought that was kind of sneaky from our producer, Charlie. (laughs) Anyway, they're away to Everton. Obviously, there are major issues there. Hughes, you're working on different stories. Let's start on the football side. What's your main problem with them in terms of how they play football? It's a new team. 
nine players, tough start, always going to be difficult. They've got their signings in early, but you know, with such a huge turnover, often there will be problems, and then you start badly. So the new players, particularly the sort of flair players they've signed, Yamalenko Anderson may be struggling for confidence. Um, so it's almost sort of vicious circle uh, time. I I, th- I think they've got they should have enough players to get out of it, but they've got a nightmare start. And they, um, after Everton, it's Chelsea and Man United, so they could easily match Palace last year and be uh, you know zero and seven. So it's it's tough. I, we don't really know. It's easy to say they've, they've recruited badly because they've started poorly, but we won't really know for another, another couple of months. What I'm really interested to, is to get both of your takes on Manuel Pellegrini and only four players were on international duty from, from West Ham. He could have stuck around, done some extra training with the players that were there, but he decided to go to Chile. And I know his family lives in Chile, so he, they stay there and they've been there for a very long time, obviously. But do you feel that he should have stuck around and worked a bit harder with his team? Um, I think it's down to him. I don't think you should stick around for PR reasons just because, you know, the fans are a bit annoyed if you're going away. It's not like he's going on holiday. I think he went home for three days and was back last Thursday, so he still had over a week to work with his players. I guess he would take the view that he's been working probably nearly every day since the start of July. This is the first break you could have. He probably wanted to give his players a couple of days to clear their heads after a poor start. Um, So while the criticism is understandable, I think potentially a a bit of a cheap shot. I like some of their signings. I mean, I think $22 million for Issa Diop is a lot of money to spend. Didn't quite get the Lucas Perez thing. I think Fabianski is a good goalkeeper. Fredericks, I'm told, is a good player. I don't know. As you know, I don't watch the championship. Um, Yarmolenko seems like a needless gamble to me, but could pay off. Anderson is a ton of money. If you sign someone like Philippe Anderson, you have to be sure that you can get into his head. Because, you know, four years ago, Anderson was the anti-Neymar, and now he's just kind of a guy who, you know, it's like, I used to be somebody really important, you know? <laughs> I know, I'm like, if you can regain it, there's definitely a great player in there. Usually, historically, this is a club where, where the owners, particularly the Sullivan family and the adorable Karen Brady, used to do a lot of the, 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 the transfers themselves. But they've changed now. They've appointed a director of football, Mario Jusios, who was previously at Malaga and worked with him at Malaga. He also worked with Javi Gracia, I think, at Malaga as well. Yeah, interesting appointment and slightly unusual, as you say, because Dave Sullivan likes to be pretty hands-on. He has certain agents he works with closely, as we know, through for the spat um, last last season over over recruitment he like he likes to do things himself but by allowing Pellegrini to effectively appoint his own director of football he seems to have ceded control of transfers which um not only is it odd for West Ham it's unusual for the industry really because the point of director of football is that they work for the club and provide continuity rather than working for one manager so presumably when Pellegrini leaves in a month or three years um Mario will go with him which seems odd do we make too big a deal about this nonsense with the uh, with the stadium, the dispute with the London Legacy Development Corporation, the fact that you know a lot of or a number of fans don't seem to like the Olympic Stadium or whatever the hell it's called now. I mean, do you think this actually affects the players on the pitch? Because I I saw them against Arsenal. I thought they played pretty well. Um, at Arsenal, yeah. 
Good point. That was that awesome. <laughs> Or does it become an issue because it sticks in people's minds? I think it affects the players when, it certainly affected them last season when there's a mini pitch invasion and the fan put the corner flag on the um, centre circle and uh, after that they started chipping goals. I think it's, it can be used as an excuse, but as you know, you give footballers any excuse and they uh, tend to seize them. So um, it, is a, it is a problem and it's they've had hard fixtures, but look at the, the home games, Bournemouth and Wolves, you'd think were winnable games and they, they've lost them both so it suggests that they're still not happy playing at that ground Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't seem like a home ground uh, for West Ham at the moment uh, Gabby, you went through the, the summer transfers you missed out Jack Wilshire of course. Yeah, sorry uh, <laughs> He wouldn't have expected a relegation fight No, but I mean, in some ways Jack Wilshire makes sense provided you didn't give him you know, a five-year contract for absurd amounts a year in the sense that it's a free transfer. Presumably, he hasn't had to move house. There's a player in there. You know, as long as you've done your homework and he's fit and he's motivated, you know, it, it is a logical reclamation project. What I don't, often don't understand, and it's not as if the Premier League is so different and you need to know the league and whatever, and obviously Pellegrini's worked here before, but it does seem that you can have a couple sort of gambles in there, but I think they have a lot of gambles. I don't know. Uh, you really, I think, have to hope that Husios knows what he's doing. One thing that did happen over the break was this very odd story involving Roy Keane, WhatsApp, Harry Arter, John Walters, and um, WhatsApp recording of Stephen Ward giving details about alleged bust-ups between Keane and some of his players. Now, Natalie, the first thing that strikes me is that if you're a professional footballer, it's never a good... I mean, this happened with... Uh, this, this actually happened during the World Cup as well with Diego Simeone talking about Argentina, if you remember. But here it's different because Diego Simeone, while he's from Argentina, he doesn't actually involve with the national team. Mm-hmm. Stephen Ward, who is an Irish international, is talking about his teammates and he records something on WhatsApp where he tells stories and sends it to somebody who then evidently passes it on, betrays his trust. So, obvious thing, do not leave a paper trail, right? <laughs> yeah, and this is the most obvious paper trail. <laughs> I mean, it's a, you know what this reminded me of? Do you guys remember when Wayne Rooney and, the was it Phil Bardsley, started boxing in Rooney's oh, yeah, kitchen? And yeah, yeah. Knocked him out. <laughs> yeah, and there's like video of it, mm. and Rooney got very angry because his privacy was being invaded. Well, first of all, I think when... An England superstar comes within like you know half an inch of smacking the back of his head against a kitchen counter. I think it is a story it is public interest, but more to the point, I think it speaks to the fact that there was somebody in that room who thought it would be funny to go and video this, and then that somebody obviously passed it on to somebody who then passed it on to somebody and and then whatever right so the obvious warning is be careful who you trust mm-hmm. um, but on Roy Keane, is this normal behavior <laughs> well. The worrying thing is for Roy Keane, it may be. Um, he's had bust-ups with players wherever he's played or managed. Um, what was unusual is, is, is the detail um, that's come out, and St- Stephen Ward's voice message was, went on and on, didn't it? It wasn't sort of just a sort of describing one argument. The sort of the level of detail of the dialogue was was extraordinary, really, um, and was instructive to me that Martin O'Neill, when asked about it, didn't 
really did attempt to deny it. He sort of said, oh, well, Roy's recollection is a bit different, but we all say things sometimes, <laughs> which um, is pretty much like a confirmation of, of, of the story. And Roy's relationship with Harry Arter still non-existent as far as I can work out. John Walters played, didn't he, this week, but mm. Arter's still not in the squad. So um, why does Martin O'Neill keep this? I mean, I, I've been critical of him, Martin O'Neill in the past. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand about him. I'm not his biggest fan, but he's an honest guy, which you can't say for many managers and maybe even most managers. But more to the point, why does he need Roy Keane with him? Because he seems, it seems to me that throughout his career, he had assistants who were lower profile. Now he has an assistant who's, you know, probably more famous than he is. And, you know, Cascarino wrote about this too, but, you know, he had his book out. He had a thing with, uh, with, with the cab driver and, and whatever. I mean... Roy Keane is basically a target. Why does he? Why does he keep him around? He obviously feels he brings something to the camp on the training pitch. He talked this week about how he sort of dragged players along with him. Not um, talking literally, right? And just dragging them. <laughs> <by> the- <laughs> well, in some instances, possibly, possibly yes. Um, maybe he just he clearly thinks he needs his sort of motivational. Um, does he like playing ability. good cop and then Keane plays bad cop? Maybe I know Martin's aware. Obviously, he's an older manager. There's a big age gap with, with, with the players now, which there wasn't at the start of his career when he was most successful. But to be honest, at Leicester, so um, maybe he just feels he needs a younger, fresh, fresher voice in there. And, and until the World Cup playoff disaster against Denmark, it, it, it was working. They had the- yeah, but it's not like Roy Keane is that young. And also, if there's one guy who I would think is generally not relatable to other human beings, <laughs> it's Roy. Keane. I mean, Roy Keane was one of my all-time favorite players. I take your point about being able to relate to younger players, but Roy Keane is not Mr. Ambassador, Mr. Diplomat, Mr. sort of, you know, warm and fuzzy and cuddly. And, you know, I I can't see Roy Keane going and talking about, you know, Overwatch and Fortnite with some of the younger Republic of Ireland (laughs) players, right? I I don't know. I I could be wrong about that. I imagine Roy Keane just talking, if he does talk, relating it to himself. And because Roy Keane was a far greater footballer than anybody else who played for the Republic of Ireland probably ever, how are you going to relate to somebody who's just on a different level from you? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, maybe he feels he needs someone with a connection with the Irish public, obviously being from from Northern Ireland himself, maybe he felt that was an issue when, when, he, when he got the job. So whatever you, Roy Keane, despite the uh, Saipan controversy, still I think, revered most, most of Ireland as far as I'm, I'm, I'm aware. But I mean, it is interesting what you were suggesting before as well, Gab, about why does he need him? I mean, these kind of issues only highlight the fact that it's just problems that Martin O'Neill doesn't need, especially when the Republic of Ireland as a team are not performing particularly very well. Um, And he's meant to be the assistant. He's meant to be helping Martin O'Neill. He doesn't need these issues. No. I also don't know. I mean, I don't know how important Stephen Ward, I'm sure Stephen Ward probably feels terrible about about this getting out and getting out in this way with, you know, because it's one thing if you leak something in the media, but obviously it's your own voice here. I don't know how you handle that. I would assuming he's apologized, but this is really, really does, stupid behavior. Does he apologize? Does no. he ever say the word sorry? I don't Steve, no, I'm talking about Stephen Moore. Oh, I thought about Roy Keane. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> Look, if you're born Roy Keane, you don't need to apologize. Yeah. Ever. That's one of the... Yeah. 
Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, which, as you all know by now, is the Times' fantasy football tip service. I'm Charlie Scott, and joined as I am every week by Paddy Bombert. Hello. So this week, international fortnight has meant that there's been quite a lot of people playing their wild cards. Uh, Paddy and I have put our heads together and come up with what we think is a decent wildcard squad going forward for Game Week 5. Um, we've done that in full on the website, but we're just going to tease that a little bit now. So... Paddy, who's jumping out at you as a must-have? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that, which the article on the, on the website does a bit as well, is not just pointing out who to buy, but the process you go through when you're picking a world card and the way you need to think through uh, every single player in the squad and what they're going to bring to you, your team. Um, the first place to start is obviously the big names, the big hitters. I think the Chelsea duo are my two favourites. Uh, Eden Hazard, Marc Alonso. Yeah, They've got Cardiff at home this weekend. Yeah, They've got fairly decent games going forward, but more importantly, they're probably two of the most dangerous attacking threats in the league and they're going to keep creating chances for each other yeah I mean Alonso just doesn't really uh, I saw a great quote the other day from Hazard saying that uh, he was talking to Alonso about defending and Alonso just said I'm not interested in that so uh, and that kind of you can see that in the way that he plays and five assists already this season yeah that involves winning two penalties, so he's getting in the box. He's he's scored one, I think. Uh, yeah, so he just looks brilliant going forward. Elsewhere, it's the big Mo Salah. Do you, don't you? Yeah, I think that's going to be our main uh, main thrust of the email this week. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. He's very expensive. Um, he's obviously we know last year he scored silly number of points. Um, do you get him? Do you keep him? Uh, I think it depends on your situation, really, and what you're doing, and whether or not you're playing a wild card, actually. But um, but we'll have much more detail in uh, in Friday's email, so uh, make sure you sign up for that at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Absolutely, and just uh, thinking of the kind of enabler players, cheaper players that you can get into your squad so you can move funds elsewhere, is there anyone that jumps out for you? I quite like the look of Leicester. Um, they've got a really nice run of games coming up. I mean, Jamie Vardy's not really a cheap enabler, but he could be a great differential striker, owned by fewer than 4% of managers. Um, but they've also got some cheap players, uh, both their fullbacks get very far forward. And I quite like Damari Gray at 5.5 million. I was looking at him this morning. Yeah, I think he's a good player. Um, he might finally sort of hit that potential that he's teased at. Um, and he plays very far forward in what could be a good side. As Paddy mentioned, the sweeper email will be out tomorrow morning. If you haven't signed up up already, then go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. That will have our, a link to our wildcard piece, our captain's picks, and a bit on Mo Salah. And head to Facebook. Uh, we have a Facebook group. Just search for The Sweeper. Post your, your questions or screenshots of your team, and we'll try and offer as much advice as we possibly can. All right, Natalie. Time now for the predictions. Where, You've uh, got a smile on your I face. I am well yeah. ahead. I don't I'm like it. <laughs> marginally ahead, I should say. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's kick it off in West London. Chelsea and Cardiff. Well, oh gosh, I feel like a lot of pressure on me right now. I need to get some points back. But to be honest, I can't see other, anything other than a comprehensive uh, Chelsea win. Uh, that's despite, of course, Cardiff scoring twice against Arsenal. But of course, they didn't win. I'm going for a 2-0 Chelsea win. Yeah, you got that. I'm not sure about Chelsea's clean sheets. So I'm going to say 3-1. Ooh, right. Okay. All right, then. Um, what about the game at the Etihad? Manchester City against Fulham. What are you thinking? Ooh. <laughs> isn't it weird? Should I just go back? Isn't it weird that like Fulham's net spend is basically twice that of City this past yeah, summer? <laughs> it's just true. Enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Fulham overmatched in this game. It's one of those things where if City score early, maybe they run up the score, maybe they don't. But I'm going to go 2-0 City. Uh-huh. 
Well, I went for 3-0 City. I just think, obviously, they'll be too strong. Now, Newcastle and Arsenal. Ooh, this we- is a tough one. Mm. Is it tough? Come on. I've, no, I it's feel... It's at home. I know, I know. But I just feel like, you know, Arsenal are still not getting into the groove yet, have they? So I find it's not the easiest one to call. I'm going for a, a 2-1 Arsenal win. All right. I'm going to go for a, a nil-nil. Oh, okay. Right. Now we're going to go into the EFL, Gab. And I have no idea if you've got a hotline to any of the managers that we're going to be talking about. But, of course, in League Two, it's Cheltenham against Crew. We've got a new boss at Cheltenham as well, Michael Duff, taking over from Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson, a guy from who's really clever, and he went to, like, one of the Baltic Republics and managed there and then came yes. back. Yes, he did. Was it Yeovil or something? Yes, he was at Yeovil. Yeah, See? Painful right. memories, Brentford. We lost them in the playoff final. Yeah, Cheltenham and crew, well outside uh, my comfort zone. And no, I do not have a line into either <laughs> of these managers. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say 2-2. Two, two. Ooh, okay. You've gone for a 2-2 two, two draw. I've gone for a one-all draw. So, you know, despite the new manager coming in and everything, both of these sides aren't in the best of form. I just think, yeah, one all draw. KG affair. So normally we have a European game in there, but our producer Charlie's thrown us curveball because he's gone for something from Scotland. Um, I'm told it's no longer known as the SPL. It's now the Scottish Premiership. Mm-hmm. I would love to find the absolute freaking marketing creative buffoon who thinks like yeah that'll make a big difference let's just keep changing the name every few years just seriously you find me find me on twitter (laughs) or we'll have you we'll have you on the podcast and you can actually explain try to justify your absolute futility and stupidity in in this nonsense and don't forget aren't all the clubs then under the spfl as well anyway saint Mirren and uh uh celtic saint Mirren have a new manager Uh, Mm. it's an irish guy who i've never heard of uh no. it says here i've never even met have you ever met somebody named oran no i know o-r-a-n no I, i've never oran carney uh who according to my notes says he wants to win the league with saint yeah. Mirren. Uh, and of course he gets to play celtic um <laughs> yeah i think i'm on the brendan boat for this one yeah uh two nil celtic oh Sorry, that's what i've gone for two nil yeah i agree i, I can't i can't see oran inspiring his side to, to beat Celtic this weekend. So, yeah, 2-0 for me too. I just find, or if you never actually said that you want to win the league with St. Marin, because I know we in the media love to exaggerate things and set people up for falls. If you think you've been harshly treated by that quote, again, I don't have the original quote. I have it. You do? Yeah. And actually, what he says is... Do I think, the accent, do the accent. Oh, I wish I could. I really okay. can't. Sorry. Um, what he actually says is, and I think people obviously have picked up on it and have gone back to him going, really? You think you can win the league? He says, if you watch the interview back, the question is, what would you like to achieve with St Mirren? My answer is, like it would have been at Coleraine, where he was for eight years, at any club that I've ever been to, he says, my aspiration at the start of every season is to win a league or to win a cup, because I think you have to reach for the stars, he says, in anything that you can do. He said, if the question was, can you win the league with St Mirren this season I think the answer would have probably been different well there you go thank you thank you for setting it straight and and shame on those who just want to make this guy set up like some deluded fool just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser the teaser was uh, the two youngest Premier League clubs will meet this weekend who are they the answer was Gab Huddersfield who were formed in 1908 and the 1905 club 
was Crystal Palace. There you go. Amazing. And of course, one of our guests today, who I'm, I think, is uh, is a big Huddersfield Town yeah, fan. Yeah. Yes. He had a big poster of Mr. Booth up over his bed as a child. <laughs> Maybe even now as an adult. That, of course, is Matt Hughes. And uh, also joined on the phone by the excellent Paul Hurst, one of our guys up north. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet for only £8 for eight weeks. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we're going to be back on Monday as the Champions League group stage gets set to kick off. Can't wait to hear that wonderful little Champions League theme. <laughs> I missed you. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.